Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. It was 69. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, the S&P 500 index slipping from a record, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average is on track for a record. The Dow up 18 points now to 18,550. That is a gain of one-tenth of one percent. The S&P 500 index down four to 2162, a drop there of two-tenths of one percent and nasdaq is down 20 points to 5035 a drop there of four tenths of one percent tenure up 830 seconds yield 1.55 percent gold up 310 the ounce now to 1332 a gain of two tenths of one percent and crude oil down one and a half percent back below 45 dollars a barrel 44.58 now on west texas intermediate crude i'm charlie pellet and that's a bloomberg business flash this is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Dividend-paying stocks, well, they're a hot theme on the global scene. Is it the attraction of the companies? Can they grow those dividends over time? Can they increase their cash flow? Can they increase their strong commitment to return capital to shareholders? Well, let's find out more about the equity market with Art Hogan. He is the chief market strategist for Wonderlick Securities. Art Hogan, thanks very much for being with us. Hey, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. You know, um, I want to just first of all get your kind of overview of what is going on in the equity markets right now. Why are people buying stocks, in your opinion? Well, probably three things. And I think first and foremost, we had a knee-jerk reaction to the seismic event that was the UK referendum. And, and, and that certainly worked its way into a pretty, you know, steep, quick sell-off. And then as we sort of settle into the post, you know, realization that that's probably not going to keep the, the, the globe from spinning here and, uh, and, and certainly cause a recession in the U.S. And, 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 and be a dent in our earnings, at least in the near term. I think we're just kind of rationalizing where the best place to have money is right now. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, when you look at yields across the globe, and certainly our 10-year, even though it's moved up from uh, 133 to 150, 150, well, 155 today. Yeah, 155 today. You still have a 
uh, about a 45 or 50 basis point delta between the yield on the S&P 500 and the yield on the 10-year. And that historically, you don't see that. That had blown out to about 80 basis points, you know, as early as the, the, the beginning of last week. So, you know, I think on an attraction basis, and you, you mentioned dividend darlings and, and dividend-paying stocks at the outset, but I think, you know, the, the, the real attraction here is, does the S&P 500 look any any more attractive than, you know, putting your money in the U.S. 10-year in, in terms of uh, what your ultimate yield is? And I think that's one of the biggest draws. I also think that the economic data of the second quarter certainly seems to be better than the first quarter and certainly seems to be back in line with a 2.5% GDP growth rate, which is probably going to be you know, good enough and certainly better than a lot of, of alternatives. So I think you've got a, you know, the possibility that this earnings season is an inflection point and, and we start seeing positive earnings growth. I got some easy comps coming in the second half of this year and, and, uh, and, and the stocks are looking more attractive. You're sounding pretty sanguine about stocks right now, Art. Do you think that people ought to be getting in and buying? Well, I, I, I tell you this. I'm, I, what I'm nervous about, and you started the, you, you let off with what I'm most nervous about. And, and the good news is, that during this rally, we've seen a rotation out of some of those utilities and staples and telecoms, which I think are getting dangerously overbought. You know, that crowded trade that is a utility. Now, it, it is a trade that's worked, and it's worked for a couple of years, and it's certainly up, you know, 23% on a year-to-date basis on the utility index. But what gets dangerous, and where I get the most concerned, is thinking that bond surrogate is safe, right? You know, we're, we're trading at multiples that are historically high and yields that are historically low for that group, as is the staples, as is the telecoms to a lesser extent. And, and that's where I get concerned. If, if we start to see this continuation of a rotation out of those sectors on the days that we do well, if those are the worst performing sectors and some of the growthier sectors like the industrials, like the healthcare, like the consumer discretionary, perhaps the technology sectors start to get some sponsorship, then I'd feel a whole lot better about, you know, the, the, the condition that uh, the stock market was in. Art Hogan, it's easy to make the case, I guess, for dividend-paying stocks when you compare it to, of course, what the 10-year Treasury is yielding, right? 1.55%. So you say, all right, well, stocks could be a proxy uh, for bonds. That's great when stocks are moving up. You think that investors are going to have another uh, another thought if we see a correction in equities? That's something that uh, doesn't necessarily get as much attention as uh, as that comparative yield program. Right, Penn. That's, I think that's the point, right? When you think about that, let's let's say, for example, on utilities alone, if we were to take that and just mean revert half of the of the move we've seen on a multiple basis to you know what we typically see. So, a utility index typically trades at fourteen and a half or fifteen times, currently trading at eighteen and a half or nineteen times. Cut that in half, and then you've wiped out two years worth of yield. So that yield play that you had, you lost in in uh, capital appreciation. So that's where the danger comes in. And I'm not. You know, that's not to say that we need to see mean reversion and, and every overbought sector of the S&P 500, but you know, just a mild mean reversion is, is going to find investors that you know thought they were buying bond surrogates, they were actually buying stocks, and you find out pretty quickly how quickly that yield evaporates when you, you're taking capital losses. Yeah, well, also, no one rings a bell when, uh, when the stock hits a, hits a high to tell you that you should get out. No, that's, that is the problem, and I think that's why you have to look at historic uh, valuations and, and, and harken back. Now, the market itself probably appears to be a bit, you know, pricey here. If you look at this on a sort of trailing 12 months, you know, we're trading at 18 times in the S&P, probably 16 and a half times next year's estimates. And, and you know, if you went back to the last 25 years, that's going to look a couple multiple turns higher. So, you know, they don't ring a bell, but oftentimes it's probably a good idea to look at where things tend to go. Now, none of those things happen, you know, 
in a vacuum. So you, you do have to look at the yield on the tenure. You have to look at what your alternatives are, and you have to look at the current state of inflation. Um, and both those are ultra low. So you know, you know, I suppose you can give yourself a couple of multiple terms. But you know, we're at a we're at a point now where I can see this market continue to get you know upward momentum, and we certainly have found a path to least resistance to the upside. We'll know a whole lot more as we really get into the heart of earnings season, the, the, the end of this week and into next week, when we have north of 150 S&P 500 companies reporting. But you have to be careful because you know stocks priced for perfection need to deliver perfection during this earnings season, and we've seen what happens when they don't. Well, let's take one stock in particular. I know you've been following. This is Johnson & Johnson. Now, here's a stock that is up more than 21% so far this year, pays a 2.5% dividend currently, and the shares are higher by 1.5% because of the earnings results. But yet it trades at an estimated P.E. of more than 18 times. Yeah, you know, oddly enough, Tim, that's actually trading at a market multiple, right? It's trading at the same multiple as the S&P 500. If you look at a business that has a handsome dividend, it's done well in their pharma. Their pharma is the bright spot. Of the, uh, and 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 as as you think about things, you know, would you rather have a household name like Johnson & Johnson that's actually been able to deliver solid earnings growth and pay that market multiple? So, you know, on a relative basis, is Johnson & Johnson expensive? 18 times historically, yes, but it's trading at the same multiple that the S&P 500 is. So, you know, to the extent that, you know, you have your choices here. And obviously, Johnson & Johnson is one of the stars of the day here. Art, how do you know when to sell? Well, it's 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 three things. And I, I certainly think one of the things, and, and we've seen this, you know, three three times in the last 12 months, it's your risk tolerance, right? So if if, if, you, if you're looking at your portfolio and you see the last August sell-off when we, we had the beginning of the China currency peg um, concerns, and then again, you know, in the January-February time frame when we sold down 10% on similar concerns or, you know, the quick 6% downdraft we saw over the U.K. referendum, and those things keep you awake at night. If, if your natural reaction is to sell – in all three of those instances, you probably are overexposed to equities. The, the the other piece of the puzzle is, you know, use history as a guide. We're, you know, at some point in time, we're going to mean revert in valuations. We'll either grow into valuations and earnings will grow here, or we need to have a drawdown here to normalize valuations. We're getting expensive here. So, you know, it's it's okay to be raising cash and have cash, you know, on the sidelines at some point in time. And it should be part of your portfolio. When you think about your your asset allocation, there's, there's always that percentage that should be in cash for those opportunities when you see dislocations in the market. And the third thing is if you're a long-term investor, if you're just starting in this game, you don't have to be as concerned about the ups and downs and the day-to-days and those three different drawdowns that we've seen in the last 12 months and, and think about this for the long term. But if you're a typical, you know, older investor like myself, who's, who knows, you know, in the, in the next 10 years you're going to need that money for things like retirement or the things of that nature, your, your exposure to the equity market should be much less. Uh, if Art Hogan suddenly uh, found a bag of money that fell from the sky, what'd you be doing with it? Well, that would be well. First and foremost, I would uh, I would probably be looking at those sectors in the SP 500 that have underperformed here and, and, and will probably take a couple of years to play out. But I think if you look at the three of the, the, the biggest underperforming sectors, first and foremost, I think financials are ridiculously inexpensive, but you have to have a longer term view on that. We've had low interest rates. That's terrible for financials writ large. Net interest margins are, are just non-existent. It's difficult for them. That's not going to you know be in place forever. So I think there's some great financials that probably are trading at some 
you know, percentage of their uh, tangible book value that are going to be great bargains, and we'll look back two years from now and say that was a that was a buy signal. I, I think the same is true in healthcare, and I think healthcare sort of an election year gets that that reimbursement um, um, problem, and we you know, we talk about you know what's going to happen in the, the election cycle, and then lo and behold, you know this has happened every presidential election cycle that I can remember, and, and lo and behold, nothing really happens, and we go forward, and, and those were probably bargains. And the third, I think, is opportunistically in a consumer discretionary space. I think we've decided that the American consumer no longer, you know, likes to go out and, and, and pay for things. I think if you find the brand leaders that are out there, you're, you're getting some great bargains there. Thanks very much, uh, Art Hogan. He is the chief market strategist for Wunderlich Securities, speaking about health care, financials, as well as some consumer discretionary stocks. They might fit the bill for your portfolio. We're going to take you through to the close next on Wall Street. This is Bloomberg. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.